So just imagine that you're walking into the church, you sit down, and the first thing you hear is this. Welcome to Hearing the Music, a show where we explore musical masterpieces and the meaning behind them. The music you're hearing is the opening chorale of Johann Sebastian Bach's St. John Passion, a classical masterwork. Over the course of the next four episodes, we will be digging into the St. John Passion. The voice you heard at the beginning was Delta David Geyer, the music director of the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra. He conducted the 2014 performance you're hearing and will be our guide to the music. I'm Mark Bertrand. I'm a novelist and a Christian minister, the pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Sioux Falls. My job is to unpack some of the ideas of the gospel narrative that Bach set to music. Along the way, David and I will get a little help from the experts. For these episodes, we spoke with Dr. James Johnson, SDSO's chorus master, who has an incredible knowledge of the St. John Passion. Bach always wanted to take his texts from the Bible itself, and using Brock's passion libretto was, was not something that he would have found good to do, especially in a service setting. We also spoke with Bach scholar Marcel Zitzer in the Netherlands. We first of all find out that Bach was someone who studied the Bible very carefully and uh, must have put quite an amount of time in it. This is Episode 1, Arrest and Betrayal. David, why don't you tell us a little bit about the St. John Passion? Well, I think it would behoove us to begin with just defining what a passion is. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's it's the story of of Jesus' arrest and trial, crucifixion, yeah. And as the name of this one suggests, the Saint John Passion, the text that Bach sets to music is the text from John's Gospel, uh, chapters eighteen and nineteen, and he actually uses the the very text that you would find in Scripture, although. The text he uses is from Martin Luther's German Bible, not, not an English translation. Right. The whole thing's in German, that's for sure, because it was actually intended for liturgical use. So you would have gone to church on Good Friday, and this is what you would have heard. And, and it was, was a pivotal moment. We're talking about 1724, uh, when, when Bach uh, wrote this particular piece, and it was his first setting of a passion. And just recently... Uh, just three years before, in 1721, Johann Kuhnau had had presented a passion in Leipzig that sort of set the stage for this event, this Vesper service on Good Friday, becoming the liturgical event of the year. And Bach, um, not in an opportunistic way, but rather just saw the opportunity to seize the moment to create, to expand the form, and to create something more substantial, more meaningful. So looking at the structure of this piece, it's divided into two parts, and the first part is quite a bit shorter than the second part. And my understanding is during that Good Friday service, part one would have been performed, and then in the break between the two, a pastor would have gotten up and delivered a sermon. Correct. I can't imagine 
as a pastor, <laughs> being the the one who would stand up and, and preach a sermon after hearing this music. But uh, it, it, it's a good reminder, though, that this music was originally created as a, an act of worship to, to further the experience of that Good Friday worship service. And it is still possible for us in listening to it, not only to listen to it as as a, a beautiful, aesthetic work of art, but also to experience it as devotional music. Yeah, I would go a step further and say that even if you're not looking at it personally as devotional music, that your experience of the piece of music is enhanced by understanding how it would have been used devotionally and what the intent was. Right, right. So set the stage for us. I'm, I'm in Leipzig. It's Good Friday. I'm going to church. What would that experience have been like? Well, it, it's, it's rather mind-blowing, actually, if you think about it from our 21st century perspective, uh, because our world is so filled with music everywhere. Um, it's ubiquitous, and it's usually trying to sell us something, right, or at least sell itself, which was not something that happened 300 years ago. Um, and so chances are, when you went to church on Good Friday uh, in Leipzig in 1724, that you would not have heard any music the entire week and since you'd gone to church the previous Sunday. Unless you made it yourself, it simply was not available. Maybe if you went to a beer hall, there'd be some singing or something. But, you know, so um, when I imagine how fresh upon the ear this music would have come to someone whose world was largely silent musically, it's the impact must have been must have been very profound and meaningful uh, for them. So just imagine that you're walking into the church, you sit down, and the first thing you hear is this.
So, Mark, I hear so much anxiety in this music. Uh, you have a throbbing bass line. You have these achingly arching oboes in duet uh, above it. And then you have a, a chorus, you know, crying out, uh, Lord, oh, Lord, Herr, unser Herr. Um, and to me, personally, this speaks of, of our anxiety to know, to have the assurance that God is in control. And it speaks today just as it did 300 years ago. No, I think you're right. You can hear that, that sort of throbbing anxiety, almost a panicky energy to the music, which is strange at first when you consider the, the words that they're speaking. This is a, a prayer, an invocation, where they are speaking to God and asking God to essentially reveal himself. In the English translation, it says, Show us through your passion that you, the true Son of God, through all time, even in the greatest humiliation, have become transfigured. So they're asking to see the glory of God, but of course, against the backdrop of the crucifixion. The anxiety, I think, is produced by the idea that, that here Jesus is being killed. He's being crucified. The one who came to save us, seemingly, is being defeated by these unjust forces. And so that raises a, a huge question. It's a question in John's gospel, but it's a question for us forever after, having to do with whether or not God is in control, whether or not his promises will be kept. And in the narrative, the answer overwhelmingly again and again is yes, but the panic is real, the anxiety is real, and so it has to be addressed with great power. So now we have the opening section of the narrative itself from the gospel. Um, we are introduced to the character of the evangelist. In this case, it would be St. John himself telling the story of Jesus' arrest. Um, and we will also have the, you'll hear interjections from the chorus. Uh, here, playing of the role of the soldiers coming to, uh, to arrest Jesus. You'll also hear the voice of Jesus himself. When Jesus asks the soldiers who they have come for, the chorus will respond, Jesus of Nazareth. When he answers, I am he, their reaction is astonishing. They fall to the ground. They draw back from him in awe. And this is a demonstration of his power. Even in the moment of his arrest, they cannot take him into their control unless he willingly submits to it. Jesus ging mit seinen Jüngern über den Bach Kidron. Da war ein Garten, da rein ging Jesus und seine Jünger. Judas aber, der ihn verriet, wusste den Ort auch, denn Jesus versammelte sich oft, da selbst mit seinen Jüngern. Da nun Judas zu sich hatte genommen die Schar und der hohen Priester und Pharisäer Diener, kommt ihr dahin mit Fackeln, Lampen und mit Waffen. Als nun Jesus wusste alles, was ihm begegnen sollte, ging er hinaus und sprach 
Sie antworteten Evangelist for this performance is the incomparable Timothy Bench, a tenor who's worked with the SDSO many times. Um, his marriage of understanding of the text, expression of the text with his technical mastery is unparalleled in my view. At this moment, uh, we come to the first chorale, which would have been the moment when the uh, congregation participates in the singing of the text. Um, chorales serve as a reflection upon the action that has just taken place. The text here is, O great love, O love beyond all measure, that is brought on this path of torment. I lived in the world with delight and joy, and you must suffer. At this point in the narrative, Jesus has affirmed that he is, in fact, the one they've come to arrest. Simon Peter tries to intervene. He cuts off the ear of a servant, but Jesus rebukes him and heals the servant. He tells Peter to put his sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given to me? And then he submits to the soldiers who bind him and take him away. We now have the first aria of the Passion. And an aria, um, like the chorales, is they're intended to reflect upon the action that's just taken place. This aria is for alto, um, and Bach illustrates the binding of Jesus by using two oboes that are sort of winding around each other, and then they come together in tandem, almost like a rope is being created. The text which the alto sings is, From the ropes of my sins to unbind me, my Savior is bound. 
Our mezzo-soprano here is Denise Gomez. It's an amazing aria, and I can definitely hear the way that Bach weaves together those ropes with the oboes. There's other examples of Bach doing this that we'll point out later on, where he kind of acts out the action of the story. But now we're approaching another aria, one that's very different in tone, and it reflects, I think, the way that Bach uses the arias as a way of almost personal reflection on the action of what's taking place. So this one is surprisingly joyful, David. Yes, this aria follows directly a recitative which talks about Peter following Jesus. And the text of the aria is, I will follow you likewise with joyful steps. So Bach sets this text um, in a in a manner that sounds like a like a lilting dance, a kind of skipping quality. It's for soprano and two flutes, which also makes it very light, too. Um, it gives it a kind of naivete. Here it's sung by an SDSO favorite, Hannah Celeste Liu. Thank you. 
we're jumping ahead in the narrative a little bit, fast-forwarding to a moment later in chapter 18 of John's Gospel, where Jesus, after having been arrested, is taken to the high priest's house, and in the courtyard outside, Simon Peter, one of his disciples, is waiting. And as he waits, the crowd outside asks him whether or not he is one of Jesus' followers, and he denies it three times, denies his Lord. And finally, after the third time, the cock crows. What's interesting about this passage is that this is where Bach actually reaches into Matthew's gospel and, as we see, pulls a particular passage, which David will tell us about in a little bit. What's also interesting is the use of the chorus here. I, I, I often tell the chorus when we're rehearsing that, that you have to be schizophrenic uh, because you're playing so many different roles. And in this particular scene, it's the role of the crowd of people in the courtyard who are asking, aren't you one of his disciples? And you can almost hear in Bach's treatment of the chorus this sort of murmuring background kind of people gossiping. Und Hannes sandte ihn gebunden zu dem hohen Priester Kaifas. Simon Petrus stund und hörnete sie. Da sprachen sie zu ihm. So let me just jump in and interrupt this narrative for a moment to point out a couple of unique things here. So normally recitative is uh, syllabic in the sense that one note is assigned to every syllable in the text. Um, to step out of that um, would, uh, in order to make the text more expressive is something that Bach does particularly well. Um, you'll, you'll hear at the very end of this next section uh, on the text uh, that, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. The, to the word vinen uh, is to weep, and you'll hear that this is uh, a melisma, uh, many notes on one syllable uh, that's very expressive. You'll also actually hear the crowing of the rooster in the cello um, after the words that the evangelist sings, Zobalt kreate der Hans, and so the cock crowed. Er leugnete aber und sprach, ich bin's nicht. Spricht des hohen Priesters Knecht einer, ein Gefreunter, des die Petrus das Ohr abgehauen hatte. Da ist ich nicht im Garten bei ihm, da verleugnete Petrus abermal. Oh 
I think that weeping gives us another example of Bach using the music to emulate what's taking place there. And that is the passage from Matthew's gospel that Bach has intentionally brought into John's narrative to capture the idea of weeping, which isn't mentioned by John, but is by Matthew. So very intentionally, I think he wants to give us that emotion of sort of wringing out the tears in that way. And then he extends this into the next aria, Ach mein Zinn, which is for tenor, here sung by Heath Huberg. Um, you can hear the anxiety. Um, again, an unsettled uh, kind of uh, accompaniment in the orchestra. It's with a dotted rhythm, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, which gets a, a sort of running quality to it. And then the the, the tenor comes in and sings, Ach mein Zinn, wo willst du endlich hin? Um, oh, my, my disposition, my senses, my, my being, where do you intend to go ultimately? How can I restore myself? So this sense of Peter you know, running out from his denial with this big question of where do I go now? Just to reiterate, the function of these arias is a kind of personal application of the text, um, of what we just experienced. So, um, yes, it's Peter running out after his denial, but it's also us identifying with Peter's denial and, uh, and then reflecting upon that ourselves. When you see that illustrated in the final movement of part one, which is the chorale, which borrows from a German hymn that would have been familiar to the audience. And the verse that is sung actually starts with Peter and then personalizes that idea. So here's the text in translation. Peter, who did not recollect, denied his God, who yet after a serious glance wept bitterly. Jesus, look upon me also when I will not repent, when I have done evil, stir my conscience. So the worshiper identifies, recognizes in himself or herself the same weakness that Peter suffered from. And this part ends with a prayer to God that when we, like Peter, go astray, when we deny him, he will not deny us and instead will stir our conscience.
Well, that's it for episode one, Arrest and Betrayal. We will leave you with this closing chorale, which ends part one of the St. John Passion. Next time, we will explore Bach's setting of the trial of Jesus in John chapters 18 and 19. David and I would like to thank our special guests, James Johnson and Marcel Zwitzer, who we will be hearing from in future episodes. For more information on Hearing the Music and for bonus content, visit us online at hearingthemusic.org.